The metaverse is emerging as the next big technology platform and promises to become the next frontier for human experiences on the internet. Into the metaverse covers companies, technologies, and trends that are bringing this promise to life. Join thought leaders Matthew Canterman, CFA, formerly a senior analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence, and Jonathan Raz Friedman, founder and CEO of SuperSocial, as they interview the brilliant minds building, shaping, and investing in the metaverse. Welcome to season two of Into the Metaverse. We're back and better than ever after a short hiatus. In season two, we're gonna be doing things a little bit differently, but we still plan to bring you the best minds building, investing in, and experiencing the metaverse. I'm Matthew, and I'm here with Yon, and we're just really, really excited to be back. Yon? Matthew, so great to be here after a short break. Uh, we have so many amazing things, amazing guests. We're really pumped about the next iteration of the podcast, and I'm sure our audience is gonna love it. So let's kick it. Yeah, and so for those of you that are existing, you know, recurring listeners, we thank you for being interested and do note that we're on a new channel now. So if you had previously subscribed to our old podcast, you're gonna have to resubscribe again on your favorite podcast platform. So please rate, review, and subscribe. We, we would really appreciate it. Uh, you know, so our favorite question, Yon, and, and anyone who's listened to the podcast before knows it, but it's the one question we like to start off right off the bat. And I think, you know, just to, to kick off season two, it's the best way to let's, let's just level set expectations for us, for any new listeners who are new to the metaverse, what is the metaverse? And, and I think importantly, as we like to say, you know, what is the metaverse not which, which is just as important. Yeah, Matthew, we love starting with that question for ourselves and for the guests that we're inviting. And I actually, I'm going to start with the, what, what the metaverse is not and kind of really hone in on, on those statements that we repeated in season one, the metaverse is not a device. The metaverse is not a VR headset or AR glasses or a game console or a mobile phone. We believe that the metaverse is truly the next iteration of the internet, the next frontier for human experiences over the internet through real time 3D immersive worlds that are interoperable, persistent, large scale, where people are going to do so many more things Part of it is going to be playing games, it's going to be attending concerts, playing together, learning together, potentially even work. And really we're talking about a completely new technology platform built on top of technologies that have been built for the internet, that have been taken advantage by mobile phones, and really introducing new frontiers that consumers can reimagine what it's like to interact in virtual worlds. Now we also know that uh, there are other technologies that are becoming relevant, and we're going to talk a bit more about that today and also in uh, subsequent episodes where other technologies like blockchain are coming in. And a lot of people now talk about uh, a user-owned interoperable web as kind of the next iteration of the internet. And we are subscribing to the worldview that blockchain, crypto, and a user-owned internet is going to be part of what enables a metaverse and definitely an open metaverse but it's one of the key components that are important for the emergence of the metaverse, which is really that sort of new frontier for immersive human experiences that we have been describing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I think from a high level for some people that are just trying to, you know, think about what does this mean? Jensen Huang from NVIDIA, and we're going to talk a lot about NVIDIA on today's episode, but you know, he put it nicely that 
you know, if we look at the progression of the internet over the years, it's slowly become a bigger and bigger percentage of the global economy. You know, we're roughly 10 to 20% somewhere in that neighborhood of global GDP is in the internet now. The metaverse is that next technology platform that's going to take us from 10 to 20% to hopefully 50% or more of global GDP being in the internet. So really building the bridges between the physical, the brick and mortar economy and the digital. And so a lot of that has focused on games and proto metaverse gaming platforms, but you know, we've seen NVIDIA make a lot of announcements in the enterprise side. I think over time, we're really going to start to see these bridges form. And I think that's why the metaverse is so exciting because it's really kicks, you know, it, it, it's taking everything that we've seen happen largely in the consumer space, e-commerce, social media, et cetera, and really bringing that to the rest of the economy. And I think that's, you know, when you start to think about it from that perspective, it really can be truly mind blowing the size of how big this can be. And, and, you know, one more fundamental thing, Matthew, and, you know, we've been asked a lot about, like, what is actually the impact going to be on people, on consumers, on, on real people around the world? And really what we're looking at is a paradigm shift of human behavior, right? If you go back to beginning of 2020 with the arrival of COVID-19, it was abundantly clear that there is a shift, that now we're looking at a world where millions and possibly billions of people are looking at virtual worlds and virtual experiences as the places where they can now congregate. Virtual worlds where kids can play as in the form of a digital playground. Virtual worlds where people can interact and do work together, play together, read together, ex do parties and birthdays. And that sort of accelerant really profoundly impacted the evolution and the emergence of the metaverse. And that is something we should keep in mind as we continue to build the metaverse and making sure that it's a humane place where people can explore, can interact meaningfully, inclusively, creatively to express, connect, and have a greater sense of belonging to a wider community. Because I do feel that some of that has been lost with the closed platform and the social media that only wanted to get our eyeballs so they can sell ads, I think we have an opportunity to reimagine what the internet means for human connection. So with, with that in mind, Matthew, let's, let's jump into uh, uh, switching gears a bit and going beyond what, is, what has been describing, what we've been describing now. Uh, and so as, as, as we are in the metaverse development cycle, it is clear that just by looking at public markets, for companies such as uh, Roblox and, and Unity or broadly metaverse ETFs, the metaverse hype cycle is cooling off as we expected. It would be at the start of the year. Go us, Matthew, we called it out. But if we go back to the episode we had with Craig Donato from Roblox, chief business officer at Roblox, he made the point that we are still in the early innings of building toward this really true genuine vision of the metaverse. So let's check in on that. Where are we now? Where are we going? And how long do we think it's going to take to get there? And maybe it would be worthwhile for our audience to also call out some of the key numbers that have been transpiring over the last you know, 12, 24 months. Absolutely. I'm a baseball fan. It's just about opening day that we're recording. So happy baseball for all the baseball fans. I think we're maybe in the top of the first inning. We might be getting into the bottom of the first inning of the metaverse to put it in baseball terms. And this is probably an extra inning game for, for, all, for everyone. So, I mean, this is, this is a long haul and we're just in the very early stages. I think the reason that the metaverse hype cycle blew up is, you know, I, first off, I think, as, as you mentioned, the, the, the pandemic, I think really it highlighted for a lot of people who previously were kind of anti-digital socialization and all of this, 
they realize that it can actually be a lot of fun and it, it's it's i'm not saying it replaces your physical interactions but it's it's a way to interact when you physically can't and and for a lot of people it was a decent enough substitute and they're realizing that there's a lot of interesting things they can do in the digital world that they didn't know they could before so i think that's part one i think part two is obviously the public market side we saw the ipo of unity roblox went public via direct listing and we started to see real financials behind this stuff in particular Particularly, you know, one, one number I'll throw out for Roblox, you know, before the pandemic, if we look at the first quarter of 2019, they had roughly 16 million daily active users. In January of 2022, Roblox reported 55 million daily active users. So it, it, it's evident that these platforms have, have, you know, the growth of these platforms has accelerated tremendously. They probably jump-started a decade or so further into their development than they would have without the pandemic because of it. And so they've, they've amassed all of these users they wouldn't have had otherwise. And so the flywheel effects, the dual flywheel effects that we talked about with Craig for Roblox and these types of platforms where you have, you know, the, 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 the dual social viral loops, you know, the user loop got accelerated so much more rapidly than anyone could have expected. And now we're just playing catch up on the content and the business side. And, and I, I still think there's a long way for someone like Roblox and others like it to go on the business side and the monetization. Again, we're still very early here, but it's clear from the user scale that they're getting there. Now to put this in perspective, when you compare it to the large internet social platforms out there, you know, meta platforms previously called Facebook has 2 billion daily active users. So 55 million versus 19 or versus 16 million is a large growth. 55 million versus 2 billion is still very, very small. So in, in the scope of everything else out there, there's a long way to go for these platforms to gain a lot of scale. And I think the interesting piece, Matthew, when we talk about the future, something to keep in mind, obviously now that Roblox is also a publicly traded company and analysts are looking you know, vigorously into its growth trajectory, 55 million daily active users. But what's interesting is that it is to some extent while a lot of people talk about Roblox as that sort of social platform, many more people refer to Roblox still as a company that is about gaming, right? And, and you know, at Super Social, we're obviously focusing on Roblox and building games and experiences. But I do believe that Roblox's growth to get even remotely close to the 2 billion daily active users is really going to have to evolve as a social platform, as a social network that almost accidentally has games and concerts and other type of metaverse experiences, but it's predominantly a next generation social platform versus a next generation gaming platform. Yeah, I mean, this is why they changed the nomenclature from games to experiences within the Roblox platform, right? I think, you know, majority of the experiences are still games, but I think there are a lot of cool things going on that are that are not games or or game like, but are more places to hang out and do things that involve, you know, gaming type mechanics. So I think over time, definitely as the platform and other platforms mature, we'll see more of these, you know, just broadly social places to, to hang out. But for now, you're right. I, I think that it is largely driven by games, but this also goes back to our conversation with Mark Petit. And we also talked about it with, uh, with Ryan from Crucible, right? I mean, the metaverse can be thought of as the internet made by game developers because you know one of the core technologies powering this is real-time 3d so that's unity software that's unreal engine from epic and you know game developers are the only companies in the world with you know decades of experience working with game engines and, and real-time 3d software and so for obviously it makes a lot of sense that this is emerging from gaming because this is where the talent is the expertise is over time as as other types of companies gain expertise in this type of development and as 
incumbent game makers think more broadly about how to to broaden their their, their scopes. I think we'll see more of these just pure social experiences take hold. But it, it does make a lot of sense that it's evolving from gaming. And and you know connecting that to the sort of cycle of where the metaverse is at the moment. Obviously, we're in the very early stages of the emergence of the metaverse. And, you know, one of our favorite episodes from last uh, season, Matthew, was with Rev, the VP of Simulation and Omniverse at, at NVIDIA. And one of the things we talked about, Rev, for, for those of us who, for those of, uh, of our listeners who have uh, listened to the episode, you, you will be familiar with what I'm about to describe. And for those who haven't, we highly recommend you go and check out that episode. And we're definitely planning to bring Rev for another, another run on our podcast. But one of the things we spoke to Rev about, which was phenomenally interesting, was the, the, the notion of an open metaverse, right? For a lot of people, a lot of proponents of the metaverse, the only really, the only real way for the metaverse to actually be a metaverse if it's, if it's truly open and truly interoperable. And we are obviously at a very early stage at the moment where we talk about Roblox, which is a closed loop platform. We talk about Fortnite creative mode, which is a closed platform, Minecraft closed platform. Blockchain provides a whole new interoperability possibilities and looking at platforms like the Central End and the Sandbox. But we are also, what's clear is that there is so much more room for innovation and pioneering technologies and and trailblazing experiences. Um, and so I highly recommend for anyone who is looking to either build on the metaverse or invest in metaverse experiences and projects uh, to really keep an eye on all of these platforms to see what are those sparks that are coming out. And ultimately, what are the things that are really attracting time and attention and money from users? Where are users spending their time? Um, and to that extent, Roblox with 55 million daily active users is obviously ahead of the curve of a lot of these other platforms. The other, the other data point I'll call out from Roblox, you know, to, to your point is the engagement per user isn't trailing, isn't falling off materially precipitously like many thought it would, you know, as economies globally reopened. And I say globally, I'm in Hong Kong and we're basically still in full lockdown right now. So everywhere is obviously in a different state, but you know, as most of the Western world reopened and has gone back to, you know, some semblance of normalcy, people are spending, if not the same amount, more time per user on Roblox than they did before the pandemic than they did during the height of the pandemic. And so it's clear that behaviors have shifted tremendously uh, because of the pandemic and these platforms, the metaverse overall, are among the key beneficiaries of those long-term structural shifts in human behavior. And, 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 and just, you know, I think one other thing we hit on is when we think about Web3 technologies, blockchain, I think it does tie back to a degree to the conversations we've had that have tied to identity and have tied to what we've called digital self-expression. You know, I, I, think, I think that we have to separate the business decision, the business strategy decision from the technology choice decision. But it's clear now that there are technologies like blockchain, there's non-blockchain, just traditional database technologies being developed as well um, that can enable interoperability across these platforms. I think for now, a lot of these closed platforms have made the business decision to be closed platforms for various reasons, whether it's the technology is not ready yet, they can't support it because they're still growing so fast, you know, all, all the reasons that are out there. I do think over time that interoperability will be, you know, foundational to the metaverse. I think that's what you talked about early on. And, you know, I, I think that no matter how we get there, no matter what the technology choice is to get us there, 
it's going to be foundational to how we get there. You know, as we think about those topics, though, as we think about you know crypto and blockchain and you know kind of these technologies, I think one of the big things that I get from a lot of people that that you know a lot of questions I get is there's a lot of people that use the terms metaverse, web three, crypto, blockchain interchangeably. They use these terms. Um, loosely. And I think that, you know, maybe we're in a position to help kind of set the record. And so maybe, Yon, if you just kind of want to, you know, help us set the record, you know, um, how do you delineate between these technologies, Web3, blockchain, crypto, metaverse, and, and how should, you know, people building stuff, people investing in this space, how should they, you know, when, when they're pitching, you know, when they're, when they're using these terms, how, what kind of definitions do you think we can start setting? You know, there is obviously a lot of confusion between these these trends, between these spaces, between these technologies, and there is some level of overlap. But at a, at a very high level, strategic level, um, what's really compelling about blockchain and Web3 overall is the fact that they are going to enable a interoperable user-owned web. And when you think about the vision of the metaverse becoming a large scale interoperable, persistent, real-time, virtual, massive virtual worlds where so many different activities are happening, mimicking real life and creating completely new behaviors and experiences that are only possible in virtual worlds. Web3 technologies are going to play an important part in enabling that. Now, it doesn't mean that Web3 is the metaverse. It doesn't mean that all things related to Web3 has to be connected to the metaverse. But what it does mean, in my opinion, is that to enable the metaverse, the true vision of the metaverse, which we've defined today, is using those technologies to enable the interoperability, to take advantage of a user-owned web. And so when you are part of a metaverse or metaverse experiences, you are able to actually own and participate in the contribution and the ownership of the digital assets that are created in these large-scale virtual worlds. And so kind of to summarize, the metaverse is these large scale, persistent, virtual, massive spaces that we've described happening to a large extent because of the evolution of game engine and these sorts of technologies. Web3 is going to enable a user owned internet, which is going to allow and enable the interoperability and the ownership of the digital assets and the things that we create or consume and being able to bring them to other spaces in the metaverse and also trade them. And so there is an overlap for the metaverse to fully be a metaverse, Web3 technologies would help enable that, but that doesn't mean that all Web3 has to do with the metaverse. Web3 has a lot of different applications that uh, most likely will not necessarily have to lead to the emergence of the metaverse. I totally agree. And I think that's a great delineation and a great way to think about it. You know, we're talking about a platform versus an enabling technology. You know, it's no different than how we think about VR and AR in the metaverse. It's you have enabling technologies. Those are access technologies, but they're still enabling technologies, but by themselves, they're not a platform. And I think that's, you know, that, that, that's, that's the important delineation that we need to have and, and the right mindset we have to have going into this. You know, a lot of people bought this NFT because of the metaverse and it's like, well, you know, I, th I think, I think, I think you missed a few steps. <laughs> But look, Matthew, I think it's fair enough. I, you know, it's all very, it's all very uh, a, a, a bit flabbergasting. There is a lot of buzzwords. There is just 
too much information, too, too a, a lot of new information. Uh, you know, I've, I had this conversation a few days ago about the role of the metaverse in the education system. And the way I kind of looked at it was um, teachers are still trying to figure out how to deal with the emergence of consumer technology like iPads. And we are now throwing them into the metaverse and starting to ask them questions about that. And so, you know, it's, it's a big, it's a big thing. And I think this is also a good opportunity to manage expectations. The metaverse is something that it doesn't happen tomorrow and it's not going to happen in 20 years. We are in an active evolution of growing into a metaverse and it's going to be an evolution, not a revolution. It's not going to be that one day people will wake up and say, okay, goodbye, internet 2.0, hello, metaverse and web 3.0. At the end of the day for majority of the world population, it's going to be the internet. They're going to think about the metaverse as, oh, we are just in a, a more realistic internet. Everything is going to be an evolution of what people already know, and it's just going to happen organically. We are in the in, in the know, and we are living these trends and technologies every day, but 98% of the world population are just going to suddenly evolve into those spaces without even knowing what on earth, you know, Matthew, you and I have been talking about in all of these episodes. And that's okay. We just need to make sure that we are not delusional that the rest of the world really want to be part of the conversation about the technology. And this is where human behavior and the impact on consumers and people comes into the conversation. We just need to be minded of those things. And so, Matthew, switching gears, um, one of the things that we have been talking about extensively in our podcast is our shared excitement for companies and entrepreneurs that are doing the hard work, you know, with the digital picks and shovels to build the backbone uh, of the future of, of Metaverse platform. Companies like Unity and Epic Games and Roblox and, and many, many others. One that we recently spent an entire episode on um, is, is NVIDIA and especially their Omniverse platform. And if you missed our episode with Rev, as I said earlier, please go and check because it was phenomenal. And so a few weeks ago, NVIDIA hosted their annual GTC conference and spent a lot of time talking about Omniverse and made many cool announcements that would be good for us, Matthew, I think, to highlight and discuss. So why don't you kind of give a rundown of some of these key announcements and what it all means? Absolutely, thanks. And so, you know, I, I, I think you know, just kind of winding the clock back, you know, almost a year ago, exactly to the day when I was still working for Bloomberg Intelligence, I put out a market size forecast for the metaverse, looking at the market as an $800 billion opportunity, mostly driven by the consumer space. And I got a lot of pushback from a lot of people saying, I'm out of my mind. Those numbers are massive. They're not reasonable, blah, 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 blah. Well, for those that kind of thought that that was true, well, I, I think as we've evolved over the last year and as, we, as we've really seen what the metaverse entails, I think a lot of people are coming around to whatever the number is, this is a massive opportunity. And, you know, NVIDIA put some numbers around the omniverse opportunity, particularly on the enterprise side. And I thought that was really interesting to bring to the table, you know, and, and so at their investor day alongside GTC, you know, they, they, they see $150 billion opportunity for the omniverse software among enterprise customers alone. And when you add in the hardware platforms that they're building for the metaverse, that's a, that's a $300 billion opportunity by itself. And I didn't even include enterprise in my forecast. So this is on top of that. And so, you know, Yon, we've talked a lot about how, 
you know, this can be trillions and trillions of dollars. And that's why I went back to the analogy of global GDP and the global economy, because we are looking at huge numbers for the potential of the metaverse, potential of the internet. So just diving into some of the pieces they announced, you know, one of the things they, they, they really focused a lot on was enterprise digital twins. And I thought this is, was really interesting because a lot of the talk around digital twins has been focused mostly on avatars and kind of, you know, recreating yourself in the digital world for, for platforms, but, you know, doing it for, you know, factories for, for the enterprise, you know, they even showed how Amazon's using it inside their warehouses today, you know, being able to basically better optimize and more efficiently manage your, your warehouses, your factories with the metaverse technologies, that's a really cool application. And it was cool to see that in use today. I mentioned the hardware. They also announced the OVX platform, which is basically a bunch of GPUs and a custom built server. So you can run this stuff at, at high scale locally. They, and, and then a, a, for, for people that don't want to run their own server farms, they also announced cloud services specifically dedicated to the Omniverse to, for game designers and, and artists to collaborate remotely. And so, you know, I, I think one of the things that Rev spent a lot of time talking about was the fact that you know, as, as the internet's evolved, we've democratized various different forms of, of media. We've democratized print, we've democratized, you know, uh, audio, we've democratized video, but the one thing we really haven't democratized is real-time 3D development because it's really hard to do. And so with some of these tools that they've announced, particularly the cloud services for Omniverse, where basically you can run on RTX, you know, GPUs in the cloud, so you don't have to have all that compute power locally. We're really pushing the envelope to start democratizing these technologies and putting it in the hands of, of creators much more easily. And I think that's the most exciting part of what they announced. And it's such a fundamental announcement, Matthew, that, that one of the things we talked previously that I am so excited about is the, the democratization aspect of things, right? And if you look again at a platform like Roblox, Roblox essentially democratized the power of game development and, and 3D creation to a whole new generation of kids that started as users and then evolved to become developers and now business owners and so on and so forth. And so NVIDIA's mission of making many more of those tools accessible is really going to be paramount to create an open, interoperable, massive global metaverse uh, because we're going to need a lot of people and we would want to provide the opportunities for many more people to create content and take it away from a small portion of the world population who create content and experiences and really making it available to many, many more people who create new things and also create things on top of existing things. And so when you think about IP and when you talk about IP in the context of decentralized technologies like blockchain, we can really, it's almost like enabling at the intersection of technology and content, a whole new renaissance of IP creation at a global scale for potentially, <laughs> the way I think about it, a hundred billion non-fungible people around the world. And these are gonna be all the people that has avatars and characters that live in the metaverse, because guess what? In the metaverse, I can be many, many different people. I can have many, many identities. And so that's why I think of it as a market size that could potentially be in the trillions. And you know, Matthew, just like there was the inflection point of the singularity, I do believe that there's gonna be a point of time where people are going to care as much about their virtual identity or identities as they do about their physical real life identity. And when you think about it like that, think about the economic activity around a transformation of that sort. We could be talking about trillions of trillions of economic activity happening only in these massive virtual spaces. 
I agree. And and just one point before, you know, to wrap up kind of this part of the conversation, a lot of the pushback from a lot of people is I don't want to live in the computer. I, I, I value physical interaction. I think that anyone that's a true proponent of the metaverse doesn't want to replace physical interactions with digital ones. We want to enhance them, supplement them, complement them. And I think one of the things that Rev also talked about with us with Omniverse with their digital twin technology for avatars is the fact that, you know, when you're not actively using them, you know, they're not in quote unquote drone mode where you're operating them, the AI powering these things can have them operate by themselves in the background. So your avatar can interact with your friends via AI because it learns how you operate and how you act while you're off in the real world. And so I don't think anyone is is advocating for replacing the real world, the physical world with the digital, but it's it's bridging the two together and it, and it's and it's and it's increasing the number of interactions we can have, particularly with people that are distant. I mean, yo, we've been going back and forth for almost two years now. We've started a podcast together. We've never met. In, and, and so one last topic we want to hit on today, and it does, it does, um, you know, stay with the, the Web3 crypto uh, theme that, that we want to hit on more in season two. Um, it's, it's literally the 800 pound gorilla in the NFT room. Recently, the parent company of Board 8 Yacht Club, Yuga Labs, raised a lot of money, $450 million at a $4 billion valuation. Um, obviously, congrats to everyone at Yuga Labs and all the investors. It's always good to see companies raising money. And, and, and as, as cynical as I can be sometimes about this stuff, you know, I'm always happy for people that are able to successfully raise money like this. I think what's notable for us is, the, is that part of the use of proceeds they've targeted is specifically to build an NFT metaverse around the NFT brands they have, which includes Bored Apes, CryptoPunks, and MeBits now, which are, I think that's three of the top four NFT collections now by, by value. So it is quite a promising portfolio they've put together. You know, I'm, I'm, and I know, Yon, you've been looking a lot at this stuff. Any, any initial thoughts to kick off the conversation? Yeah, so obviously uh, joining in the congratulations for the Yuga Labs team, incredibly impressive execution. What started as a mere uh, PFP collection of, of Bored Apes uh, back in May 2021 has evolved to really a, a new type of uh, IP and brand franchise. And, and it's really phenomenal to really look at that as a first trailblazing sort of company building on top of an NFT collection, which I believe serve as an inspiration and, and enable people to imagine what's possible. Uh, what's really interesting, as you said, Matthew, about what Yuga Labs is, is intending to do with the proceeds of, of this fundraise is to build what they refer to as sort of a, a gaming, an NFT-based gaming metaverse um, that will enable interoperability for anyone who owns NFTs to come into the gaming metaverse that they're creating. Um, and, and, and I think that is sort of the first example of a blue chip NFT collection that is really going after building its own metaverse. Um, you know, it's not, they're not bringing their board apes uh, or their CryptoPunks to the sandbox or the central end. Uh, they have a bigger vision and they're creating, you know, what they define as quote unquote, their own NFT, NFT metaverse. And I think that will really drive many more creative projects to really think about, okay, so you launched an NFT collection. Now what? I think we're past the point of just launching an NFT collection, right? When I think about uh, what should our approach as a company be about Web3, it cannot just be about, okay, let's launch cool art with an NFT collection. 
And this is maybe a, an opportunity to outline my belief on what's really unique about NFTs is, is that it's really about being a living organism. What's really unique about NFT is it's, it's a new type of technology that enable creation of digital assets that can have an, a never-ending evolution of the IP. Some of that evolution can happen because of the company, like what Yuga Labs is doing with their board apes. They create more games. They're probably going to create streetwear and they're going to create consumer products. And I'd love, I'd like to assume there's probably an, an, a TV series down the road. Um, but what's even more phenomenal about the evolution of NFT and where NFTs are going um, as an evolutionary NFT product is what creators who own NFTs can do with the NFTs. And we have seen, I have seen multiple different projects of people who are taking their board ape and creating a comics book just on the back of one NFT that they own. And that is to me the fundamental thing when we think about decentralized IP and the possibilities of creating new type of IP. But again, bringing it full circle to the, to the Yuga Lab story, it's a phenomenal story. It opens up people's imagination of what can you do when you have a great collection of NFTs it shines a light on the bigger goals that you can have by building an NFT collection. And I also think that it starts to really connect the dots between NFTs, Web3, and how it can inform the creation of, of a metaverse or, uh, or nano-metaverses that ultimately feed into a bigger environment. Yeah, I think I absolutely agree with everything you said. I mean, for me, one of the things that kind of maybe six months ago or so that I kept thinking about was the fact that if you owned like a PFP NFT, like a Bored Ape, you know, there was a lot of talk at the time that, oh, we'll just be able to bring it into any game because people will design these PFPs as characters. Well, I don't know if people listening actually make games, but that's really difficult to do for a very low probability chance that one of 10,000 people is going to show up in your game because you have to program and code and do art styles and manage all the interactions for all of those NFTs with each other, with all of the existing characters with inside your game. That's really cumbersome, really expensive, and really difficult to do unless you know you have guarantees that they're going to show up. Well, if you build it yourself now, you have a lot bigger chance of them actually showing up with their NFTs inside your game, inside your metaverse. And so I think for a lot of these large platform, these large NFT collections that, that were kind of thinking about this, this is kind of the only way forward for them. You know, I, I think it was very unlikely that people would build this into other things. And so they're going to have to do it themselves. Now they're going to have to go out and hire a lot of talent. I'm sure that's what a lot of the proceeds for the 450 million is going towards is they're going to need a lot of game developers, a lot of people with experience building this stuff to, to, to build it from the ground up. It's going to be a lot of work. It's going to be a lot of effort. And, you know, I, you know, it's going to take a long time. And I think that, you know, anyone that has seen game development timelines, I mean, three to five years is for a triple A game. I think for something that's lower quality, potentially one to two, but this isn't going to happen overnight. This is going to be a long time to build, but, you know, for them to realize that vision of, of these PFP type NFTs, transforming into metaverse characters and avatars this is the way forward and, and so it's good to see them taking that leap of faith into that next into that next journey a hundred percent i'm with you matthew and and i think one of the things that we're gonna want to demystify also in this podcast and matthew i think we should have a whole episode about that is interoperability it's such a big word it's being used so lightly um and 
Yes, oh, you know, we're going to launch a game and it's going to be interoperable. Interoperable with what? Why would anyone want to bring a certain NFT that they have in a game A in a certain genre? Why would they want to bring it to a game B with a whole different genre? Does it make sense? Is it going to be a shared economy? Is the value going to be the same? Or is there going to be a arbitrage? So you're going to go and buy an NFT cheaply in one game and you're going to go and sell it in a different game because you're going to sell it for a bigger how are those platforms and games are going to coordinate between themselves the economy i really believe at some point people are going to wake up and 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 wait hold your horses like interoperable so i i do believe this needs to be demystified the level of complexity of enabling interoperability interoperability across the board is, is a conversation that we should have. I am excited about interoperability. I think it's important. I think there are cases where you can actually enable that, but to just use it sporadically across the board and call it out is something that is gonna have to happen and anyone is gonna be able to do that. I think it's a simplification of a huge technological problem, which also may not make sense to consumers. Um, so something to keep in mind investigate, read about, and ultimately have a, an episode here where we can try and help people better understand what does interoperability means, what are the opportunities, what type of experiences make sense and doesn't, and ultimately, what are some of the pitfalls of quote-unquote deterministic interoperability. I also think it's important to point out that you don't need interoperability for NFTs to have value inside of a closed system, right? If you have I know Magic the Gathering, like the digital card version is actually eventually shifting to NFTs. I think they've already announced that and, and other CCGs are like, make tons of sense to go from traditional game technologies to blockchain. And, you know, if, if you could, you know, if you're a, if you're a, a high-end player, competitive player, and you constantly are wailing on the next shiny thing, you know, with, with, you know, rather than having these marketplaces for in-game currency, if, if you shift to NFTs, you'll have a more real-time marketplace that helps you value, you know, older cards that you can sell off to fund your purchases of new cards. So it, it decreases the friction of new players joining that sort of a game because they can buy their way in for these cheaper early stage items. You, you make it easier for later stage competitive players to continue to be competitive at the high end. It actually potentially increases your ability to have a, you know, a, a more competitive balanced uh, economy inside the game with, with more active players. And so I think that even within the scope of a closed type game, not even a metaverse, I think there's lots of applications for NFTs already. And then, and then you start talking about interoperability and that kind of what it's why I go back to what I said before. And I like to separate out the, the business strategy decision from the technology choice. Cause I think that, you know, yes, blockchain NFTs can power interoperability, but interoperability does not need to be powered by blockchain and NFTs, and nor do you need to be interoperable to have at valuable NFTs. Great summary and insights for our audience. Love it. And so with that, I think we're going to wrap up our first episode of season two. Again, everyone, please, if you're new to the podcast or if you're a returning user, rate, review, and subscribe on our new channel. And we're looking forward to bringing you lots of new content over the next few weeks around all these great topics, including the metaverse, Web3, and the future of technology. Thank you.